Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's a gag and pod where we're going in depth on the crisis at Tottenham, the joy for Wrexham, and who's getting promoted to the Premier League. Former stars Mark Schwarzer and Thomas Sorensen are in the pod this week. I'm your host, Teo Pelizzeri, and this is the Optus Sport Football Podcast. Let's get in to the Gegenpod. Yes, I am hitting our experts hard, straight from kickoff on the Gegenpod today. Mark Schwarzer and Thomas Sorensen. Mark, when in your career, seniors, juniors, anytime... Were you 5-0 down after 20 minutes? Did it ever happen to you in your career? I don't think 5-0. No, I, didn't, I don't think in any game I've ever played, certainly at professional level, was I losing 5-0 after 20 minutes. 3-0, yeah, maybe, but not 5, no. Thomas, any memories of five in the first 20 minutes? You know, not, yeah, no, no, not five. But, uh, you know, you, you've definitely been in games where, you know, you, you were sitting in the dressing room, you, you thought you had a game plan, and, and after a few minutes, it, it got out the window and, and you got absolutely blitzed by some team uh, for whatever reason. Um, but, you know, I, th- I just thought everything that happened up at Newcastle for, for Tottenham was, uh, you know, the effort, the, the organisation. They obviously changed to a back four. Um, in hindsight, a shocking decision because uh, they just didn't look like it suited them and, and didn't know where they were and, and where they should position themselves. And yeah, It was just uh, a horror show. As a professional, Mark, is, is there a worse situation to be in than knowing that you're more than an hour from full time and the record books are already in play and the the team is just on a hiding to nothing. I mean, it, is it as bad as it gets, or would you say losing a, a big international or a cup final or something like that stacks up worse than just the the sheer fear of hang on, are we about to lose ten nil in an internationally televised game like Spurs were at the weekend against Newcastle? Um, can it get worse? Uh- like, if you look at the example of Hugo Lloris, yeah, it got worse at halftime when he got hooked. Only <laughs> 5-0 down after 20 minutes, you get hooked as well. Uh, yeah, so that, I think, is probably the worst bit. You know, I, I, I totally agree with, with Swartz. I think the worst thing that can happen to you is when you're hit on your, your pride. Um, you know, yes, you can lose cup finals in dramatic fashion, and that obviously hurts in a different way. But, you know, I think that, to, to be hacked at halftime, you're the captain um, of, of the team. You, you feel you have a responsibility. And, and when you can't live up to that, and, and when you feel you've let fans and everyone down, there was Tottenham fans leaving after 20 minutes, you know, who, who've been on the, on, the, on the train for five hours. You know, so I think that says it, that says it all. And, you know, I, I couldn't think of a, a worse situation to be in, actually, as a, as a keeper and as a captain. 
So Christian Stellini has since been sacked. Uh, Mark, was it the ultimate act of friendship that his last act uh, for Antonio Conte was to show that, hey, maybe Conte wasn't so bad after all. Look what the alternative was. Yeah, it was, uh, look, I, I actually thought it was a weird one that, that Stellini was the manager. I, I really did after Conte. I, I, I thought they should have just made a clean break. I, I really did. Um, and it obviously proved to be a, a disaster. It didn't go well at all. Um, it goes to show you they just had no nothing else in, in place. Uh, but also the, the market moved a bit, right? Nagelsmann being sacked, um, and then Tuchel obviously being employed. Um, the market moved a little bit. I think there were managers then that slightly became available, didn't. I also think as we're... I mean, Chelsea's a little bit different, but I, I think there is an opportunity... There will be more of an opportunity for clubs like Spurs, Chelsea um, come the end of the season. I, I, I think there will be opportunities. Like the, the, the best example, and we're going to probably talk about it afterwards, is Antipostokoglu. I think if he's going to move somewhere it would be in the summer. And and I think that applies to quite a few managers. So I think that's the best time. So I can understand why clubs are trying to just guide the club over the line until the summer when they get a bit more clarity and possibly a, a, a bigger a bigger pool to choose from. Yeah, but if you're a Tottenham, it is a tough choice because there's, there's obviously a lot riding still on this season. Uh, Ryan Mason is, is now back in again. Um, you know, do you... Uh, do you panic? Do you try to go after Luis Enrique or Nagelsmann right now and and throw a lot of money at it and and in some way you know panic a little bit um, or, or do you actually say okay we'll, we'll take it on the chin for whatever happens we, we we might fall out of Champions League we might fall out of Europe in total because that's the way it's going right now and 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 then we'll get our strategy right we'll get the right person we'll make sure that we do all our due diligence around that because I, I feel that's what Tottenham needs uh, I, you know you look at the history yes Levy has done great with the stadium and the training ground and everything else but anything on the pitch has been a disaster um, you know even Paratisi who, who's now left uh, you know that was a debacle as well so so I think they need to get their house in order and, and Daniel Levy is at the head of it um, so you know I, you know Postacoglu I, I could see that as a great solution it's interesting you know because thinking about it even more is that, and it, it sounded, it actually, I, I actually laughed when I heard it. And when it was Harry Redknapp said, I would do it. I would do the job until the end of the season. It actually doesn't sound that ludicrous. It actually, you look at what Roy did yeah, at Palace. Yeah. I, know, I, know, I know Roy hasn't been out of the game anywhere near as long as Harry has. But I, I kind of think of a scenario where that group of players at Tottenham have been driven into the ground by Conte. The the training methods, the the the, the long training sessions, just the, the drilling, and then obviously the chaos, the way it all ended. Someone like Harry would have come in just a bit of old school management, and I think that could have actually been even better for them. Um, it's funny because at, at the time I, I was thinking, now come on, Harry, that that's too much. But now in in hindsight, I actually think it could have been a good idea. Well, when this, the Spurs fans say that it's Daniel Levy and the ownership that's the problem, Mark, how much of that is literally just a dollars thing versus a culture thing? Is it purely an expenditure matter? Or do you think that the institutional culture of Tottenham uh, is a problem regardless of who the gaffer is? I think as long as Daniel Levy is there, he is going to be susceptible to exactly what's happening now, the accusations, because it's a love-hate relationship and it's been ongoing for so many years at Tottenham with the fans and Daniel Levy. 
I, I agree. I think he's done a remarkable job at that football club. Um, they've managed the football club incredibly well to possibly a little bit of a detriment because on the football pitch itself, they've not won anything. They've arguably had their best squad of players that they've probably had in, in such a long period of time and they just couldn't get it over the line. But let's not forget, they got to a Champions League final, which was incredible. They finished second in the Premier League, which in the season they should have won it. Tottenham, their stature, they were in the they were in it with a chance. They were leading it at, at, at Chelsea 2-0 and they let it drop. So there are pivotal moments, key moments, where the fans obviously accepted it at the time. But then as from that point onwards, getting rid of Pochettino, it, it's kind of gone from bad to worse. And I say that in the fact that They've made decisions that have also cost them. So bringing in Jose Mourinho, I actually don't think it was a bad idea. I actually think it was a pretty good idea. But to sack him six days before a cup final is just obscene to do that. Um, you know, and I, and I think had they gone to the cup final and lost it, it was an easy one to say, look, you know what? It's not working out. Let's move on because of other reasons as well, not just because they lost the final. If he wins it, it's kind of it's brought that silverware. I mean, Daniel Levy becomes a, uh, a, a genius for it. Um, but since then as well, there's just been not great appointments. And then there's the, I think the way that the Conte uh, management era ended, that just brought so many things to the surface again. And they're all saying, you know, here's a manager who's saying what a lot of fans have been thinking for a long, long time. And that's why they're not performing. And then obviously Stellini takes over and the same thing happens. It gets even worse. So it's almost like a justification in what Conte has said. I don't entirely buy into what Conte has said. I think he's a lot of pushing the blame, but there is merit in what he's saying as well. There is, there is, there is elements of it where you kind of go, you know what, there has been bad decisions made along the way, but a lot of the decisions also, certainly on player recruitment and, and, and money that's been invested, has been with the view of doing it in the right way and managing their money. You know, and, and I think that's why a football club has to be run. Yeah, but you can look a, across to Arsenal if you, if you think back the last six, seven years, you know, the Gronkers have been on a mensch amount of pressure, you know, not spending enough, you know, looking after the stadium, uh, you know, just, you know, making profits and, and, and that sort of thing. But with the right kind of people in place, you know, obviously Ed, uh, uh, you know, has done a good job as sporting director and, and then, you know, hiring Arteta, the, the way they've recruited. So, so you know, it, it's really a similar position, um, you know, not, not overspending in, in any way, trying to spend in the right places. So uh, I think, you know, with, with Spurs, I think that that's the key is to to get the right people in and get the strategy nailed down uh, and, and, and actually believe in that experiment or, or strategy that, that you implement. And, and, and I think you've you got to look at people who's been successful in doing that. And, I, you know, again, uh, Postacoglu, I keep going back to it, I, I think would be a great because he's got the right persona, I feel you know he's a, he's a motivator and 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 he's he's ruthless with with his strategy and and quite shrewd as well in in what he, you know players he identify um, you know so you know why not I, I think it would be um, you know definitely and a change of scenery as well in in some way from from the high profile managers they've had of late. I mean it's interesting you bring up uh, Arsenal. Arsenal is an interesting one as well because I I, I think the fact is that. They were they were in a, a precarious situation. So obviously, after having a manager like Arsene Wenger for such a long period of time, instrumental. You look at Manchester United as the other example as well. They've had a massive turnover of coaches. 
managers. It just it hasn't worked for one reason or another, and most of it to do with the pressure that is associated with changing a manager who's been so successful, won so many league titles after another, and European cup uh, trophies and uh, domestic cups and so forth. And it's almost like well, you you've got to keep doing it to 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 appease people that the the desire, the hunger to to have success. And Arsenal was a bit the same. The minute they drop out of the Champions League, there, there is a, a sense of uh, almost a, a sense of panic as well because the fans are starting to turn, which they haven't had for a long period of time. I mean, you look at you look at you know Emery's record: seventy eight games. He won forty three of those. He drew sixteen. So it's a win rate of fifty five point one percent. I mean, he went on that unbelievable run of, of winning games as well, and then they went on a bit of a, a down down spiral, and they sacked him. So they were they were in danger of being that next Manchester United of continuously changing managers the minute things don't go quite to plan. And obviously, when they brought Arteta in, they backed him all the way, and they actually made it. They 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 took a position where they went right. No, no, no. This is the man. No matter what happens, it's going to take time, and we are going to stick with him. And they did, and they stuck with him through everything, and now it's paying the dividends, right? So that's worked incredibly well with them. And I think, you know, there are lessons to be learned with other clubs. Um, I mean, there's different models, different situations, different places to be at. Arsenal's debt was far more managed. Tottenham's probably wasn't. So there's a, there's a sense of needing to finish Champions League to really give them a better chance of paying their debt off more quickly and ease all those financial pressures. Um, so I, I think this, there's different circumstances, but in terms of picking someone, going with them, and and giving them the time um, is really important. But I also think you've got to pick the right manager. Conte, when you look at his record, he's never been anywhere where he's developed players. He's never been anywhere where he's brought young players through. He's always acquired. He's always perched, bought players in. So for me, that was never really a fit because he want he wanted to buy a team. He wouldn't produce a team, in my opinion. He he put a team together, but he wouldn't necessarily tr- better players. He wouldn't make players. But look, the best example I can give you right now is, is is the man I was talking about just before. You know, Emery. Look at what he has done at Aston Villa compared to when Steven Gerrard was in charge. They are like they are a completely different team now. You know, Emery's in there, and every single one of those players are playing so much better than ever before. So he's a manager that clearly works day in, day out with these players, has a clear strategy, and makes them better players. And they are few and far between. Yeah, but Mark, you, you touched on the, on the pressure. You know, I think that pressure is at any club. Yes, you know, taking over from Ferguson, taking over from Wenger is, is quite a unique situation. But, you know, I'm sure you experienced it. When I was at Villa, we were always measured against the Villas of the 80s. You know, if the fans were always moaning, oh, it's not like, you know, when we were you know, at the height of European football, even at Sunderland, I'm sure the players now will be measured against, you know, the 70s, even the, the time I was there when we were successful in the Premier League. So I think that that pressure, you know, Tottenham as well, the fans remember the glory days and, and that's what they want to get back to. So so I think that pressure is, is, is always there. I don't think, you know, it's something that's unique for, you know, for only the top, top size. I think it's the same with, uh, with, with Tottenham as well. No, I agree. It's, it's not that, it's just, the, it's the pressure of um, delivering. So the longer it went on with Spurs of not delivering a trophy, the pressure grows even more, right? So, so then the pressure, I, mean, I think the pressure grew on Daniel Levy to deliver yeah. because he's done everything else, but he hasn't delivered silverware, meaning he hasn't delivered a manager and giving him the tools to deliver silverware. Look, all fans want a manager to come in, give him whatever he wants as long as he's successful. 
you know, give them every opportunity to become successful. That's not necessarily good business because we've seen it time and time again that managers come in and bring in players that don't necessarily fit the club, don't really fit the ethos, and it goes all pear-shaped and the club's stuck with a player that, that, that doesn't fit the club. And so I, I, I just think there's a lot of there's pressure in terms of how long someone's been in a club, um, how successful they've been in the past maybe, what are they doing now, and, and, and what has been the criticism of that person, whether it's Daniel Levy, for example, the criticism of not giving the managers the, the money they need, not giving them the backing they need. And I think that was, that was part of the issue. If you look at Pochettino, Pochettino's time at Spurs, he made every single player a better player. But it came to a point where the turnover of players, I don't think, was enough for to to ha- to be able to hear a different to have a, to have that same voice being heard all the time, and I think there's a natural period of time. The, if you keep hold of a same like Liverpool's the same. If you keep hold of a squad too long, the core of the squad too long, I, I feel that it can only go one way because you need to have a fresh turnover of players more frequently, more regularly. Now, at the time of recording, Mauricio Pochettino's odds of becoming the next Spurs manager have blown out because uh, the media is now convinced that he is the frontrunner for the Chelsea job. However, some of the names behind Julian Nagelsmann include the likes of Will Still and, of course, Ange Postacoglu. My question, Mark, is how much of this is good PR, making sure that a manager is in the conversation for a top job, versus realism? Because there were a few eyebrows raised over the weekend when The Guardian, so not a, a organisation with a reputation for clickbait or looking to manufacture a story. Uh, linked Ange Postacoglu with Vincent Company and Mauricio Pochettino on that shortlist for the Chelsea job. Now he's right up at the pointy end of the odds for the Spurs job. But how much of that is real versus uh, perhaps ensuring uh, whether it's agents, whether it's uh, a network, you know, friendly media or so forth, making sure that a manager's just part of the conversation to continue to build their profile? Uh, that's a really interesting question. I, I think it goes... All, all different ways so like there'll be some who are linked purely because the agent wants to have lift their profile 100 percent. but there will be no doubt that if you're doing your job properly in terms of uh, a new manager acquiring a new manager you you, you want to see what's out there you want to try and source out uh, suss out every every opportunity what what other different routes for me someone like vincent company was personally i don't think was a realistic choice for Chelsea at this particular moment in time only because they went down the less experienced manager at a high level in in Graham Potter and it turned out to be a disaster so I I don't think they wanted to go down that route again then that goes on to the next thing about Ange Postacoglu untried and untested in the Premier League so do you want to go down that route again um, in someone who's got limited experience at that level certainly um, being successful where Chelsea want to be winning titles and also being you know, being right up there in the European football, Pochettino ticks a lot of those boxes. Um, and I think it's more of a a safer decision, even though I, I, look, I'm a big fan of Pochettino. I think he's a really good manager. Um, but yeah, I think there's a combination of agents doing their job, which they're supposed to be doing, but also the, I think there is a genuine, like, inquiries about certain managers, without a doubt. Yeah, and, and we can't be blind to it. Of course, it, it's important for, for both managers and players to, to be mentioned in the right places and by the right people. You know, the more you can get your name in the conversation, you know, the higher value you will have. 
And uh, at some point, somebody's going to take a chance on this. I, I think it's fantastic for, for Australian football that, that we got a, a manager who's, who's been mentioned in, in these conversations. Uh, it, it's a, a testament to what he's done at, at Celtic, obviously. But, but um, you know, I'm not sure who his agent is. But, but yeah, they're doing a great job. And, um, you know, eventually I'm sure he, he'll manage. Will it be this summer? Who knows? But, um, you, know, it, it, you know, we've been there, Mark, you know, where, where our names have been thrown in. And, and uh, you know, I, I know, you know, my agent, when, <clears throat> when I was leaving Sunderland, you know, he, he was trying to get, uh, you know, your name out left, right and center and, in, in, you know, on people's tables and, and, you know, credentials, making sure everything, uh, that people are aware of it. And, you know, that, that's the way the business works. So, um, you know, great to see it. But, like, going back to that about Ange, is that, yeah, Look, his agent doesn't have to work too hard because Ange is doing such a fantastic job, right? So, so the the question is, to what level he will go next? So, for me, it's where will he go next? It's not about it's not about well, okay, will he go in the summer? Or will he go? It's just when when will he go? Because inevitably, I think I believe he will go, and he will go. He will come to the Premier League. It's just a matter of when. Um, uh, he should go, and then obviously at what level? He should go. Hundred hundred percent, and then it's what club. And look, there's a number of clubs uh, I think would suit him down to the ground. And look, I, I think if someone like Spurs went for someone uh, went for for Ange, I, I think they would do themselves a massive favour by going for Ange. I think he would be a perfect fit for someone like Spurs. Now we are recording on a Wednesday morning. It's just gone full time on Leeds one, Leicester one. But it is a midweek round, and depending on when you're listening to this podcast, there are four games on Thursday, including Nottingham Forest's match against Brighton. But that's the only one that's really relevant to the relegation battle. So for now, uh, Leeds pick up another handy point, uh, and so do Leicester. Not so great for Everton. Everton 28, Leicester 29, Leeds 30, but Everton with a game in hand. And uh, Nottingham Forest are starting to run out of chances at the bottom of the table. Instant reaction, Thomas. Uh, not not great for Everton, as both Leeds and Leicester pick up one point on them. But they do have a game in hand. So are you, are you feeling any differently about Everton's chances of avoiding the drop here? <laughs> and is it safe to say that if Forest can't beat Brighton in their next game, that uh, maybe they will start to lose touch given they uh, have a pretty tough run in? Yeah, you know, I think for for the sake of Nottingham Forest, I I think they've been on a on a slippery slope, and and as you said, the run in is is pretty tough. Uh, they, you know, they had that great spell at the City Ground where they were unbeaten, I think, for ten games, but that's sort of gone away. And you know, Brighton will have a something to avenge. You know, they've still got European places to fight for. Um, so so I, I struggle to see that they're going to get out of it, and and I still think Leeds are going to be dragged in. Um, you know, they, you know, this was a game. I think we were talking about it last week. You know, earmarked that they had to win this one, and uh, you know, to nearly lose it, and obviously only get it away. I think that this result benefits Leicester more. Um, so, yeah, so it, it's still going to be tight, and I'm sure there'll be still storylines to be read. But I, I just see Leeds uh, and potentially Everton getting out of it, but Leeds slipping in, and and I'll still stick to that. Yeah, I agree with Thomas. <laughs> no, I um, yeah, I do. Like I, Forest at home to Brighton. You look at their. I mean, they've, they've all got tricky runs, right? They've all got some games where you look at it and go, yeah, they they sh- they should could get something out of that one. Or there's big games where they need to, like Leicester still got Everton to play at home. Um, so 
you know, Forest, there's a couple of massive games in there that they've got. Um, every, every, every one of those teams have really tough games. I mean, even like Forest going to Chelsea, is it that tough a game these days? I, I don't think it is at the moment. But they've got Arsenal at home. Um, Palace away is not going to be easy. That Brighton game uh, tomorrow is a massive one because Brighton, I mean, you look at the football that Brighton play, I just can't see Forrest getting anything out of it. But, you you know, it's the Premier League. It's that time of the season. and Anything is possible. And I know that uh, for some of our pod listeners, the game will have already taken place. But your quick thoughts on Manchester City against Arsenal. Is it as simple as this will decide the title, regardless of whether it's a draw or an Arsenal win? Or do you think that uh, Manchester City will win and uh, perhaps start to break away from Arsenal, assuming they take care of their games in hand? I think this is this is a decider. Uh, if Man City win this one, I, I can't see Arsenal. I think it, it'll, you know, the the, the results they've had of late. Uh, I think it'll just be um, just a, a nail in the coffin for, for for them. You know, if they can get a result, you know, uh, they they're still in it. You know, it'll be so interesting. Uh, you know, there's so many things, uh, but. But the way City are playing, uh, I, I just think that you know Saliba's missing for Arsenal. I, I think it, it's 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 huge. I think we've seen it over the the last two or three weeks or two weeks that uh, they've really struggled uh, keeping a tight ship at the back, and uh, and sadly they're up against uh, you know Haaland and Cole <laughs> who seem to be uh, scoring for fun. So. You know, and the record speaks for itself. They've played the last 15 games. Arsenal have only won that uh, FA Cup semi-final, I think, back in 2018. So, uh, you know, and, and uh, Man City have won 14. Uh, so, so I think that that is also going to play against Arsenal and being away from home as well. is it's, it's everything against them. But, you know, Ateta, it's for them to then rise up and, and show what they're made of. I, I think Arsenal have to win. I really do. I, I think a draw is not enough for Arsenal. But I, I think Arsenal would... I, I say I don't think a draw is going to be enough, but I still think Arsenal would be happy to get a draw because if you look at how many games City still have to play, they've got 11 games to play in all competitions, possibly 12 if they beat Real Madrid and get to the final of the Champions League. Obviously, that's beyond the end of the season. FA Cup um, is beyond the end of the season. But I, I just feel that, there is, that every game that Man City play is... A cup final every single game because they know if they keep winning their games, club games, they're going to win the league. If obviously they win the Champions League games, they go through. The, the, the way that their squad set up, the way that the mentality is, the way that Pep's desperate to win the Champions League, which is only normal because a club like Man City, you would expect them to try and win the and should win the Champions League. Um, so I, I think there is hope for Arsenal even at a draw, but I think it's still less likely. I just because I think this Man City side with 11 games to go, say 10 games after after tomorrow, we'll still, we'll still have enough and the big enough squad unless they get some bad injuries along the way. Let's hope not. Just to sign off on Manchester City, the two Manchester clubs advancing to the FA Cup final where they will meet each other for the first time. Normally this would be a headline sort of a story, but neither semi-final really uh, set the pulses racing, even though one of them went to penalties. Thomas, were there any big takeaways for you out of the FA Cup semi-final weekend? I mean, I'm sure when the final comes around, it'll be a global event and a big deal because of the international profile of the two clubs. But for me, i got to say, this one didn't really move the metre as far as semi-finals are concerned. Nah, I think obviously the Man City story, oh, sorry, the, yeah, the Man City win, you know, was expected. Uh, there was a lot more riding on the other game, you know, and it was tight as, as, 
as, as again, as expect, expected. And, you know, it was good to see Man Manchester United after the, the obviously horrific loss uh, in Seville to, to, to come back and, and show some character and, and some composure at the end of the game. Um, you know, it's, it's a final, you know, at least me personally, that I wanted is the first, you know, Manchester derby in, in a big final. So uh, that, that's going to be something new and, and exciting. And um, I think for the profile of the FA Cup, uh, you know, that's the game that you probably want. It's going to be it's going to be interesting. Um, you know, it, it's a chance for Manchester United to to get something across uh, from their, their, you know, city rivals. So that, that, that'll be you know, something that definitely can't wait for but yeah the, the semi-finals didn't live up to any hype and and united can end up with two trophies and finishing yeah, yeah. champions league this year which yeah. means which is pretty pretty impressive and i think everyone will pretty much quickly forget about the europa league game um and well arguably you might even be kicking yourself even more because you could have had three trophies because you would think that if they got past Sevilla, you know they're, they're in a great position um the, the storyline with a with a treble you know they could actually ruin now they could ruin man city's treble and and not repeat United's from 99, you know, so, so that would be another thing to, to take into it. Absolutely. And I, I still actually can't believe that this has never ever happened before that Man City have played Manchester United in the FA Cup final. It's kind of weird, isn't it? I, 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 know, there's, I know that City for a long, long time were, were nowhere near the level of, of United, but I, I'm still quite surprised actually that they've never actually met each other in an FA Cup final. And to finish uh, the discussion tangentially to Sheffield United, who were one of the defeated semi-finalists in the FA Cup, they play West Brom this week and are moving closer to securing automatic promotion. But the battle for the playoff spots is absolutely chaotic at the moment. Coventry in fifth on 66, all the way down to Swansea in 12th on 62. Uh, West Brom have a game in hand, and that is against Sheffield United, but there are just four points separating all of those teams, a number of sides that have either never played in the Premier League during the Premier League era, such as uh, Millwall and Preston North End, but also teams that have been out for the best part of 20 years, like Coventry, and also a couple of yo-yo clubs like West Brom and Norwich. So, this is one of the great championship playoff battles for spots in the top six. And yet, Mark Schwarzer, I suspect the presence of Middlesbrough means you may not care who finishes fifth or sixth in this battle at the moment. Not really, no. no. Uh, it's interesting, actually. It, you know it would be great? It'd be great if it was a Middlesbrough-Sunland final. At yes, Stadium. I mean, it'd be, it'd be amazing. I'll take it. It would be insane. Can we shake hands? I mean, Can we shake hands on that now? Please. Yeah, let's do it. I mean, it'd be an amazing atmosphere because the rivalry between the two clubs is obviously huge and it'd be great to see another team from the North East back in the Premier League again because, you know, that's what we need. Newcastle needs another rival um, as well. Um, they are they are special to play in and uh, it's very unique. We've seen what's happening in Newcastle right now with the way that the club's gone and the atmosphere. Newcastle's always an amazing atmosphere. Even when the times weren't great for Newcastle, they still put on a really good show, the fans. So I always love playing up there, as as I always love playing uh, at Sunderland. Funny enough, even though you know the biggest rivals and the amount of abuse you receive, I still enjoyed playing there. Um, so <laughs> I, I'd I'd love I'd love to see those fixtures back in again in the Premier League. Yeah, I I, I, I want to give a shout out to to Luton Town. Uh, it's actually one of my former teammates, uh, Rob Edwards, who, who's who's manager there now and, and has done a, a fantastic job. You know, it's. I think it's a great story. You know, he's a young, really not proven in in any way, but he's he's taken them now into third, and they're you know in a great spot uh, on good form. 
So uh, I think that's one of the, the storylines. But obviously for me, yeah, Sunderland, it would be great to, to you know, they've gone a, on a good run of form of late. So, um, yeah, so many, so many, I think, twists and turns, two games to go. You know, the Champions League, sorry, the Championship always delivers in, in some way or form. Do you reckon he looks down at the table and goes, Watford? He goes, Watford? Like, where are yeah. you? Like, seriously, look where I am. Where, where are you, Watford? Well, like, what no, are you doing? Norwich. <laughs> no. Yeah. Norwich is still, you know, technically you can still make it, but it, it look, it's looking tough. Yeah. Stay with us here on the Gagan Pod. We've got one of the most heartwarming stories in football to talk about. La Liga as well, women's football, and some brief Aussies abroad too. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Gagan Pod. We've got Thomas Sorensen and Mark Schwarzer joining us today. And I just wanted to start, Mark, by mentioning Garang Quoll because uh, the loan to Hearts has not resulted in a great deal of game time. Five matches now without seeing the pitch, just 190 total minutes since his move. This is not completely unexpected, but very, very much the, the tough stages of having to earn your place and fight for your place in Europe, which is perhaps not unexpected when this move came along. But what are you making of his lack of game time at the moment? It's never easy, right? Um, I think the the jump from the A League to you know to to Scottish Premiership is a big one. I think uh, climate, weather, um, is a tough one for for Garang as well to deal with. Um, the physicalities of it, the the intensity of it, I think is is on another level again. And obviously, Hearts kind of you know lost their manager just just the other week, um, which never which never makes it easy. And I think you lose a bit of you lose a bit of uh, continuity, and new manager comes in. And he's going to go for more experienced players, players that are tried and tested in the in the Premiership, and therefore that's that's what he's going to stick with. Um, so yeah, look, it's a learning curve, and he's just got to try and be patient. He's got to try and get whatever he can out of this experience at Hearts, and take it into the next season. You know, and and that's the frustrating bit. So that's the hard thing. The hard thing for a lot of these young players is to try and make the most of that current situation even if you're not getting game time what do you, you know being able to learn at that for that experience it's going to there's going to be a lot of down like a lot of lows how you react to it what do you do how do you get on the training field what, you know how much effort more effort do you put in do you just throw your hands up and go well it's not my fault and or do you roll your sleeves up and actually work harder try and work on your game do you go to a one of the coaches and says look can we do all the video analysis guys can we have a look at the stuff i've done what should i be doing better you know all these things are so important but i find that you know a lot a lot of players um take the easy route it's not my fault it's someone else's fault and i hope he rolls his sleeves up and digs really deep and just works you know he socks off and tries to become a better player for it and learn from the experience i, I exactly uh, i 100 percent agree mark i think you know, it, it, it is a, a, a great test of character. Uh, and, and that is the difference, you know, because, 
you know, we, we've, we've all been in situations where we had to look at ourselves and, and we had to, you know, you, you, you have two paths. You know, you, you can either, yeah, like Mark said, throw your hands and blame everyone else or, or you can do something about it. Uh, and, and that tends to be, you know, the people that, 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 that tends to look at themselves and, and, and look to improve and, and learn from the situation, they tend to be successful. The others just disappear and vanish. Um, uh, and yeah, that, that's the choice he has now. And let's hope he, he puts the, the working gloves on and, and just cracks on and, and, and learns from it and develops his game. Because, you know, you've got to look at what gets you in the team. I think that's, you know, do I need to do more? Do I need to go in the gym? Do I need to work on my bulk? Do I, do, do I need to up my effort defensively? And, uh, you know, because he's, you know, he's been used to just having those a little bit like Asani when, you know, you know, those brief actions of quality where you use your pace and, uh, but there's so much more to the game when you come to Europe and there's so much expected, so much more expected from managers in, in regards to your effort and tracking back and defending and your positioning and all, all those sort of things. And, and that's where he needs to add something to, to give him a better chance of playing. And that's the key, right? So the key is that you, you do work on your game. You, you do lift, you, you lift the intensity up and you do look for ways to improve yourself. So, like like Thomas was saying there about the little acts, the small bits, the 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 moments of brilliance that got him to the stage where he's at, and the question is, what did he do to get to there? So was it a lot of natural ability? Was it something that he didn't work on that much, but it was just raw talent? That doesn't get you that much further. That raw talent, if it stays raw, it, you you fall away. And I think what's key now is that. He takes that raw talent and turns it into something special by working on it and 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 developing it further. And the only way that is is by putting in the hard work. You know, utilizing. I mean, I've had this conversation with with a few of the young, you know the guys recently over, over the last sort of six months or so um, about utilizing the staff that you have there. You're on the out, so you're not getting game time. What do you do? You 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 try and do your own sessions. I'm like, no, no. You, you, in my opinion, you go to the staff. You go to people who will listen to you and ask them to help you. What can I do? How can I get fitter? How can I get stronger? What do I need to work on? Utilize people that are at the club because it works two ways, in my opinion. You get better as a player. You 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 get fitter, you get stronger, you're working on elements of your game, um, but you're also getting that person on your side. That person is important because it shows that your that person identifies that willingness for you to learn. Coaches talk, management talk. They go, look, he's flying. He's been working hard. He's been doing all the all the, all the hard graft. He's getting better and better. Then at training, it develops because it, you, you're showing it at training. And eventually, what happens is you, you you're almost you're forcing yourself in people's eye line, and 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 it's it's almost like. You, they, they're left to no other opportunity option other than to, to give you an opportunity. There are also moments where it doesn't matter what you do, you're not going to change someone's opinion, right? There are moments like that. But if you don't do the extra work, if you don't try and better yourself, you'll, be never, you'll never be ready. So what do you do? You, you, you stay like you are, you throw your arms up, you blame everyone else, you go, well, what's the point? And then come the end of the season and you move to another club, you've got to start all over again because... You, you haven't put the extra work in. You're starting actually where you were and you've wasted all that period of time. And I think that's the, 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 the hard thing because when you're in that moment as a player, it's really hard to see it because you, you're feeling sorry for yourself and you're feeling a bit, your pride's hurt. 
it's really, really tough to to identify it yourself. And and there's only so many people who have the willingness and the the desire to to roll their sleeves up and to prove people wrong. We'll leave the Scottish Premiership there and uh, move even further down uh, the world of football because there's a team in the National League, Wrexham, who have come to worldwide prominence due to the documentary and their celebrity Hollywood owners, Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds. They even had Paul Rudd there for their game at the weekend against Boreham Wood where they captured promotion. And now they're going up to League Two. Um, Thomas, have you been swept up in this story? Are you enjoying the Wrexham fairy tale? And and if so, how much further up do you think they can go? Or is getting back into the Football League perhaps the, the organic end to their rise just to get out of the trap of non-league football? Ah, it's such a great story. Uh, I think Wrexham are everyone's uh, second or third. You know, everyone is a fan of, of Wrexham and the story, I think. Uh, you know, they, it's such a traditional club I, I've been there at the race course I've, I've played some uh, some preseason friendlies there and and you know it is a hard-working town and and uh, you know football you know just to see the success we can see the you know the excitement of of of, of the promotion um, and and it's you know it's unique you know can this ever be replicated I I, I don't know the story behind it is is absolutely crazy that that uh, McElhenney and, and Reynolds didn't actually meet six or until six months into the ownership. They were just talking on the phone. You know, McElhenney reached out to Reynolds because he knew he needed money and star power to get this this going. And you know, their interest in sport and and they you know you know took a really a leap of faith into this uh, learning on the on the go. You know, I think they've done a, a great job, and obviously the promotion they've they've been able to to do. Getting, you know, um, I think Will Farrell was there, you know, earlier in the season as well. You know, just to get, you know, with the Disney TikTok on the on the shirts, uh, getting that Disney documentary. You know, I think it's it's a view into what what you know a little bit like Sunderland till I die. It, it's it's a it's a view into the real world of football. You know that they. What what ninety ninety five percent of football is about, um, and uh, how far can they go? You know they've they've got money. So and and again we we've seen now this season that they've been able to bring in players, and I think also they will have players who are willing to maybe drop down to be part of this story. We we obviously Ben Foster, you know uh, you know has done well and had that tremendous uh, penalty save against Notts County. Uh, but I think there'll be other players as well. So I think in Division Two, I think they could do well. But obviously, at some point, they'll they'll face some limitations uh, for where they are uh, and and everything else. Um, but yeah, the story. I, I hope it keeps going because it's great for football. It's great for the area, Wales. I think it's uh, superb for for the country, uh, for the country and the town as well. So yeah, hopefully they can get promoted into Division One as well next year. I think it's better than Sunderland until I die because Sunderland until I die, Sunderland got relegated, whereas Wrexham have actually got promoted. So it's actually a happier ending. <laughs> hey, it was it was it wasn't a pleasant viewing, I tell you, but it was the reality of football. You know, a lot of clubs go through this. Uh, you know, um, and and uh, but just to see their excitement, you know, I think that's that's the great thing. Is you know, these are people who you know on paper shouldn't really care about this, especially Ryan Reynolds. Uh, you know, he's an entrepreneur. You know, he sold his telecommunications company. He, he, you know, he, everything he touches turns into gold. Why should he care about Wrexham? But, but to actually see those 
pictures of those two and tears in their eyes and what it actually means to them. I think, uh, you know, and, and, and actually not taking ownership, not taking, yes, we, we're, we're sort of custodians of the club, but, but it's the town, it's the fans, it's the history that, that owns it. You know, so they, they, they're doing it in a great way, I feel, as well. So, um, you know, good on them. Well, one thing I wanted to ask is, do you have a club that, like Wrexham, could be a latent fan base that's fallen on hard times? Now, I realise the further up the football pyramid you go, the more expensive and more challenging it's going to be. I mean, we're talking about a team that was in the National League. So if I was to throw a name like, say, Derby County or Charlton Athletic out there, maybe that's already a bit too high in the pyramid and a bit too much debt you're taking on and a bit too much money. But gee, they've got some huge fan bases further down the football pyramid these days. Mark, is there anyone that you played against maybe or a club that you knew was a sleeping giant um, that is sitting in the English football pyramid somewhere that could be ripe for the picking for a similar sort of project if uh, other big celebrities want to use their profile to uh, imitate what Reynolds and McElhenney have done? Um, look, I, I think, you know, you mentioned probably a couple there in, in terms of if you look at a club like Ipswich, Sheffield Wednesday, I mean, I'm just, I'm just literally rattling off League One, you know, because you look at the teams that are there, Ipswich, Sheffield Wednesday, Barnsley, Bolton, Derby. I mean, Charlton, Charlton Football Club, you know, it's a London club, just supposedly has been forever for sale and, and never really have fallen in the right sort of hands to, to turn it into a club that is successful. Um, I think there are a couple. Look, Dol- if you look at Derby and Bolton, for example, the facilities that those clubs still have is impressive. Um, but for, for one reason or another, it's just not been attractive enough. And whether that's to do with the financial problems off the pitch that are probably still hanging over those clubs, um, probably most likely. But to see them still be actually... Um, competitive in League One and actually in the playoff positions and, and fighting for promotion is, is, is quite impressive. Does part of the appeal have to be that it's a club in the English uh, system? Because, I mean, Wrexham are Welsh, but obviously the dream is that one day they could win promotion three more times and get into the Premier League. But, I mean, could it be plausible that 1860 Munich or Dynamo Dresden in the uh, the third tier in Germany could be a candidate for something like this? Or does it have to have that dream of the Premier League being the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow? Well, I think you can use the example of RB Leipzig, for example, you know, where, where they've come from. They were a seventh tier team that were bought and effectively created from, you know, for overnight to change the name and everything else. Um, and as much as German fans hate them, the actual project... I was going to say, the heartwarming, the heartwarming story of RB Leipzig. No, but it, yeah, okay, so from a, from, a, from a purist perspective within Germany, people hate them. But if you look at Leipzig itself and, and east part of Germany and, and, and not having a team in the, in the Bundesliga for so long and what they've done for the region, I mean, that in itself is a heartwarming story, right? So it's, 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 a, it's a wonderful story for that region, not necessarily for the game of football across the country for the purists. But I actually admire what they've done. I think they've done a really good job. Yes, they were at an advantage at times, but they've had to be. They've been able to spend far more than any other club at, at those levels. But it, money, just throwing money at teams, doesn't always bring you success, right? We've seen it so many times. Chelsea's a great example right now. What is going on there? It doesn't matter how much money you throw at a team if you're not organised, if you haven't got the right system in place, right strategy, it's going to get you nowhere. Um, but Leipzig created from from ground up this massive juggernaut and it's really really incredibly well run and i think um 
whoever it is. And there's no, for me as well, Wrexham are obviously very well run. And I've, I, I listened to a pro- program when they were playing the FA Cup. Uh, I think it was against Sheffield United, actually. And, and um, over here, one of the radio stations were based there in one of the pubs. And they had one of the ladies who works uh, within one of the projects within the community. And she was employed full-time for the first time by the club because Ryan Reynolds has bought into it. Um, they want to be very much part of a community. And I, I, I think, look, we saw it with Newcastle. Um, when the previous owner, Mike Ashley was there sitting in the back of the, you know, in the stands and drinking with fans, how quickly that can go wrong. But I don't know, with Wrexham, I, I just don't see it going wrong so badly. Yeah, look, they can go wrong in terms of performances on the pitch, but I don't think the relationship between Ryan Reynolds and the fans necessarily will change that quickly. I think more so because of the fact they've come from so low down and what is it, the first time in 12, 13 years that now are in league football that story in itself and I think those fans will probably think this journey has been incredible something that they probably never would have been able to experience had it not been for these guys so these guys have got incredible credit now built up but there is an element of what they do next how they move the club forward small steps massive steps how they do it but it looks like it's a long-term project it looks like they're not trying to just flip it make a lot of money out of it they're trying to really do something special all right, let's move on now to La Liga because uh, we're recording this on a Wednesday morning. Uh, so Optus Sport viewers may have seen that Tati Castellanos, who's on loan from Major League Soccer, no less, scored four goals in a game. First player to do this in a league game against Real Madrid since the 50s. First player to score four in any game against Real Madrid since Robert Lewandowski. Uh, in a 4-2 win, it means that Barcelona move a step closer to the title because it's 11 points now with Barcelona enjoying a game in hand. And that is also after Barcelona beat Atletico Madrid 1-0 again at the weekend. Yet another 1-0 for Barcelona, Thomas. And uh, their defence and their goalkeeping has been an incredible story. Nine goals conceded in 30 games now. I mean, while their European football and their financial situation may be a mess... From a statistical point of view, they are compiling one of the most remarkable La Liga seasons we've ever seen. Yeah, it's an all-time record uh, in in the top seven leagues in Europe to only concede nine goals in your first thirty games. So uh, you know, for for you know for Ter Stegen, uh, you know he's had a tremendous season. I think the the back four, um, you know, you know has you know I think it's twenty three clean sheets he's had already. Uh, which is is unbelievable, and uh, yeah, you can question is it as exciting as it was in the past? Uh, but yeah, you need to start somewhere, and I think for Barcelona, this season was about winning the title, uh, whatever the cost. Uh, and they, you know, with the result, uh, uh, Real Madrid uh, losing, yeah, it, it it was sewn up, but now it's it's I think it's definite. I don't think there's any question marks there. Uh, so they can start to build and, and hopefully add layers to their their squad and, and to their way of playing going forward. Um, yeah, and for, for Real Madrid, you know, they're, they're obviously hanging their hat on the Champions League. Uh, and that's going to be a tremendous game against uh, Manchester City. I, I can't wait for that. Um, so, you know, the, you know, they, they, you know, Atletico Madrid can now potentially drop, uh, you know, Real Madrid uh, and get into that second spot. I think they've got a game in hand and, and are five points behind. So that's going to be interesting to watch. But in the, in the big picture, Barcelona deserved uh, champions. I, I think performances on the football pitch, absolutely. Uh, performances off the pitch, no, they shouldn't be anywhere near it. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. Hey, you're it, a purist, Mark. Come on. <laughs> no, no, but it's just like I, I just really find it difficult to understand how a club can be so much in debt and still be functioning like they are and still buying and and paying the players. Yeah, but that Chelsea, that look are. at they're just like it's the way they they move the money around and they've obviously sold their future rights and and all sorts and that's their problem. I, I think. Is it going to work for them? Uh, who knows? Uh, but, but, but Chelsea didn't have a debt of 1.4 or 5 billion euros, right? So what Chelsea have created uh, a, a debt and, and, and it's done more within the rules, right? So the big question mark is with Barcelona, has it all been done within the rules? And there's obviously lots of other things that are going on with Barcelona. So watch this space. Like, look, there's nothing, you can't take away with what they've done on the football pitch in La Liga. There's absolutely no way of taking it away. My question is, how have they been allowed to still do what they're doing when they've got such a big debt? When you talk about financial fair play and running of football clubs, clearly the way Barcelona has been run over the last however many years has been shocking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. But then you know they're allowed to to sell their rights, um, you know, to cover that. Um, you know, so I, I, I don't really have a problem with it, other than it, it's an unnecessary huge amount of risk they're taking on. Um, and and we'll see how it goes. I, I think with a club like like Real Madrid and Bus, uh, sorry Barcelona, Real Madrid, did, Real Madrid did it in the past as well, didn't they? The, the, the city basically helped them out. Yeah, they bought the training, the ground. training ground. Yeah, that's right. And then gave them a lot of money for that and and helped them. And 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 I think there's an element of that within Barcelona. They probably feel that look, they've got the city backing. The city is Barcelona. Barcelona is the city, right? So the football club, it goes hand in hand. There's no way in the world that Barcelona will go under. Someone will bail them out, whether it's the city of Barcelona or it's the, you know, the area of Catalonia, whoever it is. I I think there's an element of that as well. Well, speaking of Barcelona, let's finish with a little bit of women's football. Just the headlines. Uh, we'll start with the women's Champions League, where Barcelona did win one nil against. Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Uh, Caroline Graham Hansen scoring in the fourth minute, and that was enough to secure the win. And now Chelsea would have to do the completely unexpected and win at the New Camp in order to at least get that tie into extra time, if not win it outright. Arsenal came back from 2 0 down to draw 2 2 against Wolfsburg, and that was a result made even more impressive uh, given that they had lost Leah Williamson to a torn ACL, which will also rule her out of the World Cup for England. So, Mark, a couple of massive results in the Women's Championship. League, but uh, the World Cup is again cursed by losing yet another of its highest profile players. Yeah, I mean, massive blow for Leah Williamson. I was at the game, and the minute she went down, I mean, I think she hadn't even hit the ground before she was waving towards the bench that it was no good. Um, I was actually amazed that she hobbled off the pitch because um, she just literally hobbled. I've, you know, you know when someone's really struggling when you see them walk off like or, or hobble off the pitch like she did. Um, yeah, really, really, really big shame because she's a she's a massive player for England, and at the World Cup, obviously, we want to see the best players on the planet playing, and she's certainly up there with being a phenomenal player. Um, so big, big loss. But for Arsenal, look, I, I think it was a I think it was a tremendous result for Arsenal to pull themselves uh, back from from two 0 down. Mind you, you know Arsenal made it difficult for themselves. <laughs> I mean, the way they considered the second goal was just suicidal. Um, okay, it is the way that Arsenal play, but. You know, that was a massive, massive mistake. But to their credit, they pulled themselves out of it. Um, and they, you know, they, they deserve to get back into the game. And uh, they're, they're in with a real chance. You know, coming back home uh, against Wolfsburg, it's not going to be easy, but they, they, they've given themselves a really good chance. 
and uh, luck's on their side because even their plane had an issue with an engine caught fire and they're all okay as well so thankfully that's all good as well so uh, Chelsea uh, I said it beforehand. I, I think they're going to find it really tough against Barcelona, and they and they obviously did. They didn't play. They didn't start the game well. They got better as the game went on, and I think one nil um, gives them a hope. But I think it's an outside chance. Yeah, and the interesting thing talking about the World Cup is um, Alexia Patelas potentially playing in that second leg. She was in the squad for the first one, so uh, that's you know if she's in any sort of form, <laughs> it's going to be even harder, I think, for for Chelsea. But but Tottenham. Talking about Arsenal, I think, you know, you're looking at the players, Miedemeyer, Mead, they've lost. I think it's tremendous that they've still been able to to be competitive. And now Williamson as well. You know, they're, they're still grinding out result. And, and to come back, uh, Rafael, I think, had, uh, you know, obviously making a mistake for the first one, but scoring the, the second. And Kathleen being involved as well. You know, I think there's just players that have risen um, in that team. And, you know, they're still right in there and I still have a, a chance for, for the WSL as well. So, you know, there's, you know, there's a lot of credit that, that has to go to, to the way they've handled the, the tough situation at Arsenal. The other thing is as well, obviously they've, they've been missing Caitlin Ford for a number of weeks now yeah. as well, who's been in tremendous form for them. Steph Catley's only just come back from injury. I mean, she played 45 minutes against Manchester United at half time. She came on and then she started against Wolfsburg. So, yeah, credit to her uh, being fit and raring to go. Um, and let's hope that Caitlin Ford's back sooner rather than later as well. And don't forget uh, that Arsenal are still, albeit having lost to Manchester United, part of the four-way battle for the WSL title, which is on Optus Sport. But gentlemen, that brings us to the end of the Gegen Pod for today. Of course, uh, by the time we talk next week, we might know whether or not Manchester City are running away with the Premier League title or not. Let's uh, hope that we still have uh, a compelling title race in a week's time. Thomas Sorensen, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's been a pleasure. And Mark Schwarzer, thank you very much. No problems at all. Really enjoyed it. It's a fight to the finish in the Premier League. Thursday, the defending champions take on the league leaders. Manchester City and Arsenal in an epic showdown. Plus, there's a battle for a coveted top four spot when Tottenham host Manchester United. Don't miss the fight to the finish. Live Premier League Thursday, only on Optus Sport. Yes, a big thanks to Thomas Sorensen and Mark Schwarzer. The Premier League all comes down to Thursday morning's blockbuster. Be watching from 5am Australian Eastern Standard Time. It's one of four games if you're listening to this on Thursday after the games have been played. Don't forget we've got Premier League all through the weekend. Jump onto the Optus Sport app and website for details. There is La Liga every day between now and Friday, May the 5th. So make sure to check the Optus Sport website or app for all the broadcast details you can't lose. The WSL continues with four live games this weekend, including title-chasing Manchester United away to Aston Villa at 4.15am on Saturday, Australian Eastern Standard Time. And the J-League and K-League continue on Optus Sport. Make sure to jump on the Optus Sport website or app for all the broadcast details. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and why not rate us five stars while you're there. I've been your host, Teo Pelizzeri. This was the Optus Sport Football Podcast. Thanks for listening to The Gegenpot.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.